Thank you for joining the Denver Podcast, the podcast that brings together public relations professionals and influencers. I am your host, Vanessa Abrin. On today's episode of the Denver Podcast, we will be chatting with PR professional Beth Gordon. Beth Gordon is a PR professional who has worked in communications for more than 20 years. She is really excited about how marketing is becoming more and more digitally focused, but feels traditional publicity fundamentals are still king. Her work has been focused on kickstarting conversations and engaging consumers and the opinions of thought leaders in a fully integrated way. She uses multi-channel communications, such as social media, traditional media, and things of that nature, but she loves the challenge um, almost as much as she loves feeling the satisfaction of when the pieces fit together and plans just come to life. So let's talk more about Beth um, on this topic. Um, please note that um, you're about to dive into a conversation that Beth had um, prior. Um, this conversation is recorded. Um, so let's just dive on in. Well, welcome to well, the Denver Podcast. How are you today? So excited. I'm wonderful. I'm so happy to do this. This is my first podcast. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, I'm happy to, for lack of a better term, be the, be the one to burst your cherry in this regard. Yay. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Love it. Love it. So we can um, start off something simple. Talk to us about how you got into PR. Okay. Yeah, well, um, I have been in public relations for um, 20 years now. I um, got into it almost by mistake. Um, I Me too. wanted to say, <laughs> right? <laughs> I think most PR professionals have that same story. I wanted to move to New York City. Mm -hmm. And a, working for a um, public relations company was the first job I was offered. And so I took it. And it was at GCI, which is Gray Advertising's um, PR company. And I did healthcare public relations. And so it was completely out of um, anything that I knew. Not only was PR new to me, but also healthcare and science and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. And in, in hindsight, it was such good training because you, everything you had to do had to, everything we said and wrote about and talked about had to be in within the FDA guidelines. Mm -hmm. And so you had to find creativity within um, super sciencey topics. And so that in some ways was such a great foundation for me. And so when I, you know, so for example, I worked for an erectile dysfunction drug and Ooh, we, is it one is, that we know? Um, it, Levitra. Ah, it is one that we know. <laughs> yeah, so one of the big ones. And so what was interesting about that, we had to talk to people about um, how it was an indicator of heart disease or diabetes. And you couldn't, you couldn't go with like a sexy topic and talk about sex and love. You had to be really um, within the guidelines uh, with the FDA set out and so it's kind of it was kind of a fun um it was tough right to f to find creativity within these tough guidelines but i think it sort of helped me set the stage for um for other parts of pr so you kind of had to find fun and creative ways to make people excited about brands so cool so now being getting people excited about working with brands what are you doing right now 
I work for a company called Atoria's Family Bakery, Ooh, and it's so cool. Um, they make um, you've you've tried some of our breads, have right? yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so they make lavash, pita, and naan. And so these are all flatbreads. And um, you can make wraps and pizza crusts with them. And what's really cool about Atoria's is they're a family-run bakery. And also everything that they bake is made with, with simple ingredients, nothing artificial. And so it's totally different than what's on grocery store shelves now. And it kind of seems like there's a switch. People are going, consumers are going back to basics about mm-hmm. what kind of food they want to eat. Versus, you know, maybe a couple of years ago, I feel like protein bars mm-hmm. um, were, were all the rage and they had, you know, like 20 grams of protein and, and fiber and everything you need um, in one little bar. So this one's this is kind of nice. It's kind of like the bread that you would make at home. So how did you go from healthcare to bread? Oh, my gosh. I this <laughs> is a big investment that I made. And I'm it's pretty funny to tell you about. I was in healthcare PR and I all of a sudden decided I wanted to be a chef. And so I spent nine months, I would work from nine to five Monday through Friday and then all day Saturday and all day Sunday, I went to culinary school. Interesting. And it was in New York city and it was so fun and it was, it was amazing nine months and, and I learned so much. And I think, um, I'd, I've always loved food and cooking and, and that was sort of a nice bridge for me. And once I graduated, I worked for a caterer, Marcy Brownstein catering in New York city. And it was awesome. I did everything from marketing to cooking, to running events. But I realized quickly that if you want to be, um, on that side of food, you have to work on the weekends at night mm-hmm. on your feet for grueling hours and not very much pay. So you really, really have to love it. And so from there, I kind of took a step back. And so I thought to myself, oh, I love public relations. I love food. And so I started working for another company in New York City called Hunter Public Relations. And I worked on there. Um, I did Cheez-It. I did Pop-Tarts. I Ooh. did, yeah, a lot of the Kellogg's brands. And so it was super fun. And then from there, I, I kind of, um, I, we moved to Chicago and I found a way to kind of meld my food and my healthcare background. And I started doing nutritional PR and I worked for um, the National Pork Board was a client. And so from there, um, and also McCormick Spices, we, did, we, we would do a lot of recipe development and, um, and, and that kind of stuff. And so I was able to really just use everything that I learned. And I kind of felt like it finally, things are kind of, all my interests were coming together. And it was oh a nice goodness. meld. Yeah. You said National Pork Board. I can't remember what agency I was with. I don't know if it was Weber, Shanwick, or Hillary. Yep, Weber. Yeah, Weber. Yep. Yep. And so I remember National Pork Board with Weber. And then when I was at Hill and Knowlton, I remember that we actually bid. I worked on the RFP for McCormick Spices. Oh, funny. We didn't, right? we didn't get it, <laughs> but I definitely remember working on that RFP. Isn't and that funny? Yes. So it is very interesting. So that is so cool. I love your evolution. Yeah, it was a nice evolution. Are you still cooking? I'm still cooking. We actually, my husband and I um, have decided that I I set this up and it works out great. On Mondays and Wednesdays, I am responsible for dinner. And so he can't ask what it is. He can't ask when it's coming to the table. 
and I, I can't ask for help. So I just, it, I need to work it into my day that Mondays and Wednesdays I am cooking dinner. And then he does that on Thursdays and Fridays. No, no. So he does that on Tuesdays and Thursdays and it's the best because I don't, on Tuesdays and Thursdays, I don't have to think about dinner. And then it's all up to me the other days. And I did just start baking um, focaccia. Okay. So that I was like, it. me too. And I, I, have you seen online all those really pretty pictures of people who bake bread, focaccia, and they make designs with vegetables on top, like flowers. Yeah. And, like I've seen it on Pinterest. Yeah. So I, I did, I did my first one last week. And, and it was good. I mean, there was no, the, the, there was more of an abstract design, but the bread mm-hmm. tasted really good. Yeah. Well, do you cook? Them. I do cook. So I'm, I'm I haven't, Dive dove into making bread. Actually, this past Tuesday, I made some soup. Oh, it was a recipe from a that I got from Pinterest. It was like a chicken chili, but I feel like it's more of a chicken soup. I think they Ooh. call it chicken chili because it's like beans and stuff in it. Oh, so that like, sounds so good! It is really good, and it tastes even better. And you know, I work with a vegan chef, but it tastes even right, better right. when you put a little cheese on top of Ooh. it. Oh, every- <laughs> I'm with you. I'm with you on that. And eat it with some <laughs> potato chips instead of crackers. Oh, I lo- oh yes. I think I think you and I would be good e- eating partners. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> don't don't tell Wit I told you that. Oh, I know. <laughs> Keep it between us. <laughs> so, are you? So even though you're not necessarily doing the culinary stuff um, professionally but you are cooking on the sides. Have you started like posting your pictures and thought about maybe being a side food influencer? Oh my God. Do you know what it is? I think two things. One, I think it's so hard to promote yourself and I give influencers so much props. Um, We had an idea. My dad and I worked together and we started, it ended up not taking off the ground, but we were starting a company called We Hate Vegetables because we were like on a, on a, we had a goal to eat more vegetables. And so we, we figured that a lot of people had the same feeling. So we were t- um, cooking with vegetables, taking pictures. We launched an Instagram account. We were going to, we launched a Shopify account and we were going to start selling kits that included recipes and um, we found these like awesome flavored cranberries, these mustards, these, these other, other little ingredients that people could have in their house. And so if they thought, Oh, you know, I have these peppers. I I read on, we hate vegetables that if I add these flavored cranberries to these vegetables, it's going to be a quick and easy meal. Boom, boom, boom. And, and what, what we found in both my dad and I have been working for other people and promoting the food brands, we just had such a hard time when it came down to talking about ourselves. And so I really think that it's so amazing about influencers. Who I think that's like when, when people ask me, what do I think it takes? Like how, if I could even like some not food related, but friends of mine who are in real estate, they, I talk to them about starting an Instagram account and I tell them like, they have to think of themselves as an influencer. Mm -hmm. And I also tell them it is so hard (laughs) to talk about yourself. Um, But then going back to food, I think also food photography is such an art Mm -hmm. that, you know, I, I can, I can make something and cook it and it looks really great. But then taking a picture of it is just something totally different. So I think it's it um, it's pretty difficult. But then I also so with with Atoria's, I um, when we started working with them two and a half years ago, I told them 
that on social media, we need to become a food influencer. We, have, we can't think of ourselves as a company. We have to get into the food conversation. We have to share information that's of interest to people. We have to entertain and we have to engage with influencers and really take our cues from them. And so if, if all of a sudden influencers are, you know, if everyone moves away from Instagram and starts using Pinterest, we have to do the same thing. And we have mm-hmm. to be, you know, like they're the, like the food influencers are that are leading the food conversation and they know way more about SEO and writing and what people want. And they have the, the real passion for food. Like we have a big passion for bread, but their, their food storytelling is something that we need to, to watch and be part of. So what has your experience been like working with influencers? I love influencers. I have such a soft spot for them. I think influencers, especially if a food brand, um, I think it's super critical that we make relationships with food influencers. Mm-hmm. Um, everything from because they have um, and and what I do when I work with food influencers, I you know we we talk about you know we align on. Um, we both like the products and then I give them maybe like three or four key messages. And then I say, whatever you think will resonate with your audience, please do that. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't, I don't dictate what they do because I feel like they know more than I do about what mm-hmm. their audience likes. And each food influencer has a different type of audience and different type of follower. And so I, I really just leave it up to, to their expertise. And, and almost sometimes I think about, um, that book that Tina Fey wrote a little while ago, she says that her key to success is hiring smart people and then staying mm-hmm. out of their way. And so mm-hmm. that's what I kind of, I think about that with, with food influencers. They, they are, they know way more than I will ever know. And they can create stories that are so much more interesting. And it sometimes um, in the past, like working with big companies, it would be so scripted. We would give the influencers like a, like a two page agreement and it would hear the key messages and we want you to post on these specific days. But then, it, you know, in, in reality, that, that doesn't work. You know, we want mm-hmm. it to be like, we want their authentic voice talking about our, um, our, our messages in, in a really authentic way. I totally agree with you. I love that you were like, these are the basic guidelines. If you mm-hmm. stick within these small basic guidelines and you put your whatever it is into it, then we got a winner because like you said, that's why you chose them. They have an audience and you have access to their audience. So you can't dictate how they talk to their audience when they've cultivated and grown this audience from the ground up, you know, and and the brands, we can't just jump in there and be like, you know, try to take over, you know, because this is what we (laughs) want. Cause I've actually Uh heard, you know, in my work and I've talked to different influencers, I've heard horror stories that unfortunately we do have colleagues that do try to mm-hmm. that try to bully them. And I feel so bad for them about that. Right. So I want to tell my colleagues, stop bullying right? the influencers. Right. Just let them do their thing. And sometimes it's a hit and sometimes the recipe is not a hit. And it, and it just really, um, you know, that's I guess that's like the whole ebb and flow of of online. It's all about being social, right? And yes. two way conversation. We had this one. Can't, I'll think of his name as we're talking. But when I worked for a different bread company, he was a very small micro influencer, and we worked with him. He would do one recipe a month, and we had this great ongoing relationship. And then one day he called me and he said, "Beth, you're never going to believe it. A recipe that we did a year ago." 
was picked up by BuzzFeed and included in like vegan recipe or like Instagram inspiration for vegan recipes. And he said he, his site, he said, I've gotten a million hits to my website. And it's just like, and the, the readership of that article was like, it, it, you couldn't pay for that. You couldn't like, it was so amazing and authentic. That is so cool. It was so cool. And you say he was like a micro influencer. He was a very small micro influencer. Um, it was, I think it could have been machismo. I know I, I should look it up. I should have had that before I, we started this conversation. Oh, no worries. Sorry but, about that. But no, it was so cool. amazing. And he was like, I couldn't believe it. And so f- for me, that was such, that really showed me the power, uh, reminded me of the power of um, influencers. And I think what you said is like, something that needs to be explored too because i think brands like with the with the evolution of influencer i think brands became very codependent on an influencer's following like how many Mm -hmm. followers do you have yes as opposed to looking at the impact and engagement and how much that person makes sense um and so the and so the fact that you said this person was a micro influencer and got that level of like eyes and attention and that return I think that's like that speaks volumes because you can't just really look at how many followers an influencer has oh my gosh right because they have like a a specific audience and and I think I love what you said and and to, to build off of that I think that with clients the hardest thing is telling them that like this one influencer post isn't one and done it's not like an ad that's gonna run from you know, uh, October 1st to 15th, and it's going to be about Halloween. And then once the 15th is over, it, it's done. The influencer post lives forever. And it has a, you know, it has the potential to just keep growing and growing and growing. Right. Because like you said, that guy's post, it was like you guys created that recipe a year ago. A year. So, and so a yeah. year later, it was like, oh, look at all of this. Look at all of this attention that we're getting. <laughs> yeah, it was so cool. It was so cool. Have you ever had a, a, a unpleasant experience with the influencer? Have I ever had? I think um, I would say yes and no. Um, I, I think because I, I feel like the unpleasant experiences I've had with influencers is when we, tr- we come in too hot and we try to be too scripted and try to tell them what to do. Tell me about that. Right. So I feel like if we, um, what was it? It was, a, I remember it was a um, influencer and I was working for a brand and we wanted them to do a giveaway tied to a promotion. And we, um, we pretty much, we wrote the copy for them. And they had said to us, you know, like, this isn't going to resonate with my audience. And we said, well, that's what the, um, the client approved. And it's going to be really hard for us to go back. We, can you please just use it? And, the, and they used it and they showed us and they said, look, like this was a, this was a dud. It didn't, the image didn't resonate. The copy didn't resonate. And so we kind of had like, it was tough for us to go back to the client and tell them why. And the influencer was kind of, was, you know, didn't really want to do anything else with us if that's the way that we were going to work together so that was bravo to that influencer i think um, so too i 100 yeah i have worked with i can say personally that i have worked in agency settings 
where you have this client and it's the, you know, the brand has a very sexy appeal to it, but even though the brand is sexy, it's a very corporate infrastructure Mm -hmm. around this sexy looking brand. And like you said, there's all these approvals and things like that. And so I feel like we, we have this tough role of like, managing the client's expectations mm-hmm. and you know and giving them the room the room to sign off but yet make sure we're in the guidelines of what makes sense for when we're engaging with influencers because it's it's interesting because it's like well if it's a paid promotion i get it you know i get right. like you know i get it but if it's if it's earned media there's only so much you can do. Oh, exactly. You know, uh-huh. and I feel like and it's this, and I feel like influencers now are going to be like the new magazines, like how we used to pitch magazines back mm-hmm. in the day. That's that's the role influencers are about to take is the role of what magazines are because people aren't buying magazines like they used to. Like I was just telling someone the other day, I went to Walgreens to try to buy a magazine and couldn't find the magazine aisle. Oh, like, interesting. It, it was right. just a few magazines <laughs> that was like by the by oh, the funny. register, but it wasn't like a big selection. And I was like, uh-huh. I was like, well, I guess I that makes sense. No one's buying magazines anymore. Right. That like the the remember the days of having to do a clip book. And oh, print. yeah, <laughs> I remember I had to um, um, when I when I first started out, it, we would get um, envelopes in the mail of like mm-hmm. n- of newspaper articles that people the had cut out. Loose. The, yeah. yeah. And then Precision. we would have to, yep. And then we would have to, um, we would get rubber cement and rubber cement them onto um, pieces of white paper and then photocopy them and then put them into a book. Mm-hmm. Was the days. I remember those days. Yep. Remember those days? <laughs> I remember those days. Now, mm-hmm. fortunately, you can just take a picture of something. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I'm not doing that. Oh, my <laughs> like, no. It's so funny. You know, like, I can check yeah. it down. Was there I another? Th- uh-huh. Come, go oh, for yeah. it. Oh, no. I'm sorry. Um, I was thinking another thing. I think the other hardest part is um, tracking coverage and showing value back to a client. Because kind of like using the example of the micro-influencer who got picked up by BuzzFeed, I think it's so hard to, um, to, to, to go back. It's, I have a very hard time going back to my client and, and showing the value of um, influencers because I, I love them. I believe in influencers. I think that they, like what you said, they're the future media. Um, but it, it's so hard to show, you know, you know like, well, how many how many impressions did this get? How many likes did it get? And, you know, it, it grows and grows and keeps going forever. And also influencers, they promote content in so many different ways. There's their blog. They maybe they're big on Pinterest or they're, um, you know, they, they also get do media interviews. It's just really hard to, um, I have a very hard time going back and, and showcasing their value. And even though I say, this is so amazing, like this mm-hmm. is so good. Um, I worked for one company who had a, um, we spent, we were spending a lot of money on influencer marketing and it was so great. And like the brand was doing so well, but they had a very strange metrics that you had to pump all your impressions into the system, this proprietary system. And then it, it, and then, then 
six weeks later, you would get the results back and it would tell you this guy in this proprietary monitoring system would tell you if your campaign was successful or not. And so, <laughs> and he had, the, he had no idea about influencer marketing and he would came back and said, nope, this isn't a successful tool. And so we were, we were saying, this is, this is the most successful tool working with influencers. Right. So that so is, is that tool, is that proprietary, <clears throat> excuse me, is that proprietary tool still in existence? I don't know. I, you know, I kind of think it is. I, I haven't worked with that company in a while, but I, I, I think they might still be using it. But it's interesting. I mean, like so much has changed. I mean, that their tool probably worked really well um, with with traditional advertising, but not with mm-hmm. um, PR or influencers. Right. I, th- I do think that, um, you know, like conveying like the the results of it is kind of hard. I think part of it is intuitive. Mm-hmm. I think another part of it is, I think that's, well, I'll rewind. Like the cool thing about being independent, being an independent <clears throat> PR practitioner now is that I have the flexibility of like, when I talk to my clients, I can like manage their expectations a little bit better than when I was working at an agency. Agree. To say like, this is what we're doing. You know, you're not going to see immediate sales results but this is going to what we're doing is getting the conversations you know started and talking and things like that and so they will understand it from that point so if they're getting engagement versus expecting sales and that's one thing right but i would say for those who are expecting sales what i would recommend to those particular clients is like maybe have an affiliate link that we can give those influencers so if some if one of their followers are decide to purchase whatever it is that they're promoting then they can click on that link and we can see or they can have a code that's specific to that particular influencer so then that's a way that we can track how engaged you know these people are by whether if they click on that link or use that code i think the link is better because i think if they click because if they a code is that you actually execute which of course we all want but if an influencer can say, like, we got all these people to click on it. Now, what they did when, once they got there is up to you, you know. Right. <laughs> you know, uh-huh. I, I, I let them to the water. Uh-huh. Right. Now, you know. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I think I think those are maybe like the best tools that, that we can maybe even give an influencer mm-hmm. to allow them to track, like, how well they're doing i love that idea of the code and even even um that mean that the affiliate code the link and even thinking about one of our big for the for the bread company for our Torias, we have an online store but also we want we have a bunch of brick and mortar stores that we want to drive people to mm-hmm. and that's the hardest to track with influencers but i love your idea of the affiliate code that maybe tracks people going to the store locator Mm-hmm. Right. And so then to your point, I love that idea is because I could say, OK, 50, 100 people from this one post went to the store locator to find the bread. Mm-hmm. And if it's and then from there, we can see, you know, what zip code people typed in. And if there's bread there, that's great. But if not, we can see, oh, there's a need in Chicago. People right. want this bread. I love that idea. Yeah. Oh, so glad I could help. I walked away with something. Cool. (laughs) I knew I knew I would. (laughs) (laughs) Another cool thing about influencers, too, like when you do engagements is like leveraging them beyond just the post. So 
you know, like having conversations with them, whether it's IG live interviews or Facebook mm-hmm. live interviews, or even um, like the Twitter, Twitter has a, a video live version. It used to be called Periscope. I'm not sure if it's called Periscope. Oh yeah. Remember yeah. that? That was so funny. Yeah. You could watch people eat cereal and like all over the world. And <laughs> right. <laughs> and so, strange. you know, yeah. or we can even invite them to like private zoom, you know, um, events for panel mm-hmm. discussions where they can maybe be a little bit more interactive than they could be on Facebook or love, Zoom. Right. So then it's like when you, so then the cool thing about that, because even if you're not getting sales, but if you're getting people to sign up for this event where they get to engage with this influencer on some type mm-hmm. of level, now you're getting email addresses. And so right. now you're getting those email addresses to add to your database um for newsletters promotions and things of that nature too so oh, i love that right and i and I, that, that i also um think would be so cool we often work with um dietitians and mm-hmm. for the bread company because some of our bread is low carb and it's all natural and ingre- simple ingredients so we could do like we have a i have a group of maybe 150 rds that i could do something like you mentioned, and maybe we could all get together, we could talk about bread, and then they could get, you know, they could get coupons and then or materials to talk to their clients and their following. Mm-hmm. It could be a good thinking beyond the post. Yes. Mm-hmm. You see where I'm going with this? We're cooking now. Right. We're cooking. We're cooking. Now. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Um, no, that's so good. It's so much. Yeah. I think that right, even going into stores, we do a lot with, I, we used to do a lot with Hungry Girl. She's oh, amazing. Yes. She, oh, she's not God. an influencer, but she's uh, she's advertising. But her um, she, the power of her is unbelievable. When she recommends a product or or she talks about anything, we, we love aligning with her. We um, I work for a different bread company, and we would go to a uh, fancy mm-hmm. the di- you know, fe- the dietitian meeting, and we would have on the first day people would come to the booth, sign up and get a wristband to come back the next day for a book signing. So our booth always had just people wrapped around it and her and dietitians and people who weight watchers, former weight watchers, people just love talking to her and her recipes are amazing. And she's, she's an amazing woman. I actually would consider her influencer. To be right. Honest. Yeah. yeah. I think we take influencer and it's like what you say, you tell your clients, like they all got to consider themselves influencers. Like I think, She's influenced in the sense that she may not and she may art and she may have like a very huge Instagram huge. following. But yeah, she was an influencer before we even were, was coining that term. And oh, she, yes, um, she like paved the way. Right? Yeah, because like, I remember working at Weber Shanwick and Helen Knowlton and working on those different food brands. Of course, at Weber Shanwick, we worked had a lot of different food brands like I was working on. Crafts, um, South Beach Diet Foods and Campbell's V8 mm-hmm. and Lunchables and things like that. And yeah, that's where I first was exposed to Hungry Girl was working at Weber Shanwick. And this was back in, ooh, I'm about to tell my age. This is like back <laughs> in like 2006. Uh-huh. So funny that we never crossed paths. We, we worked at all the same agencies and all the same brands, but at different times. Yep. <laughs> yep, to that, and that's and that's when I first heard of Hungry Girl, and I have a Hungry Girl book upstairs. I have uh, one of her recipe books. So good. So she's like, if I I subscribe to her newsletter, and I gotta 
I'll get a I recipe or two. Yeah. I used to get her newsletter. I, I should probably sign up for it again. But well, I she's got, we did um, at the other bread company, we did a, um, we licensed her image on a bread that we sold at Walmart and it did so well. And it, it was, it, it did so well. And the majority of the reason why it did so well was because we were affiliated with her. Mm-hmm. And so she would, she would talk about the bread. She would share it in a newsletter. We would do store tours and it just really organically fit into what she was talking about. And the, and everyone who ate the bread ate the way she did. And it, it all just, the pieces fell together. It makes so much sense. Cause even what I know of her and what I know about, um, Atoria's bread is that, you know, cause she always makes the different types of pizzas mm-hmm. and, the, and the flat bread. So that totally is in line. Mm-hmm. Even like a little mini, like flat bread sandwich. Oh yeah. Like a little taco. And, uh-huh. yeah. Or she used to like, she used to have like, I remember and I, when I followed her really heavy, like she used to like refer to sandwich bread and it was like very, like they were sandwich thins. Yeah. So I can see the lavash bread being cut up and just making them into sandwich thins. So it's oh, still yeah. like a sandwich, but it's like just a sandwich thin. Right. Not too heavy. And that's, so we, we launched a, um, Oh, I don't know if we sent it to you, but it's a cauliflower coconut yes. lavash. Yeah, it's so I haven't good, tried right? it yet, though. Oh, it's real good. And it, it is only like three gram net carbs, but you can stuff a lot of food into it. And if people who are either keto friendly, keto ish or um, counting macros, they really like it because they can eat bread and they can um, and it, it doesn't fill them up and they feel gu- they don't feel guilty about it. And so it's just a really nice it's a really nice story. And, and we do a lot. um when we first launched it, a lot of people, uh, keto influencers picked mm-hmm. up on it. We did follow a bunch and, and I reached out to them and, but they would share it with their followers. And now I have people reaching out to me all the time asking me if, the, if um, can I send them some bread so they can share it with their followers or get a discount code or even if we just do larger giveaways and partnerships. Uh-huh. So it's so nice. It's like, it, and it's a, the hard part about Atoria's is that we have three different audiences. So we have the keto audience or the macro counting audience who loves the low carb aspect about it. But then we have our non that is delicious and a lot thicker and um, it's great for pizza crusts. And so that's more of a a family or like a food influencer kind of audience. Um, And then the, the pita is kind of still like same sort of family. So it's just interesting when I talk to influencers, I have to get like a a range. I can't skew too heavy in one direction. Mm -hmm. I have to really make sure that I'm, I'm working with influencers who are, who can resonate three different times with three different types of people. Right. So So cool. It's so cool. So what do you, like, how do you see the influencer landscape changing within the next couple of years? I think you hit the nail on the head when you, you were talking about them being the new media. I mm-hmm. think they're in, they're, that is going to continue to grow. And especially um, they will, um, I think I love influencers who they, they also write for magazines or they write for, um, or they, they write for other publications too. So, they, or they'll, they'll have a cookbook or they'll just do be, or they'll launch products. They really just like, their um, food influencer aspect is just one, one, one piece of their um, their whole network and business model. And I also think that food influencers 
they have their finger on the pulse of, of social media. Right. And so they, if um, you know, we don't know what's going to happen with Facebook or, um, or Instagram or even Pinterest in the next couple of years, but I think they are going to be the first to know. Mm-hmm. They're going to be the ones who are who who figure out. Oh, my readers are mostly coming in through YouTube, so we're going to go back to doing videos again. So I just feel like they are um, food influencers or influencers in general. They know way before we do what's going right. to be the next big platform. And right now, TikTok is really hot right now as well. So I know I, people are making some really fun food videos on TikTok. Have you seen any cool ones? Like, what what's your favorite? A hair one. See, I am not. Um, I'm. I'm a little old, so t- I. I have a hard time with TikTok. But my daughter is 11, and sh- she'll show us fun stuff. Um, but I do. Um, I think the ocean spray was that TikTok. That guy was. I didn't behind. see. I need to check it out. Oh, you have to check it out. Um, he was skateboarding to a Fleetwood Mac song, drinking ocean spray, cranberry juice, Ooh. and it was. I think it was TikTok, and then. It picked up and went everywhere. And um, he now has a new truck and like, like a lifetime, lifetime supply of ocean spray. Wow. Right. And so they, what a, do you watch TikTok? Do you? Uh, I, I, I'm more of an observer of TikTok mm-hmm. than I am of a person that creates TikTok videos because mm-hmm. I feel like I love TikTok, it's very entertaining. But I feel like with TikTok, you have to go in with the plan of what you're going to post because you can't just post you just like waving and smiling and your walk (laughs) like you like you like that's what you can do on Instagram or Snapchat or even Facebook. But TikTok, you better be ready for a performance like, oh, I know. Right. (laughs) And I haven't mustered up the energy to figure out what my TikTok performance will be. Exactly. Um, <laughs> oh, we can go in together. We'll do it. Maybe. Um, yeah. <laughs> I'm still I'm still up here observing it. Oh, but. I know. I don't know how people um, memorize all those lyrics or those um, lines to movies and then recite them. Oh, when you see the movie a thousand times, you memorize right. it. <laughs> so, for example, I didn't realize I did this, but Devil Wears Prada was on TV a couple of days ago. And I didn't know all the lines, but I knew quite more than I thought I did. And oh, don't that's put so on, fun. And don't put on Clueless. Like, Clueless. Oh, forget it, right? I know that entire movie. I watched that movie a million times. Oh, my God. It was the best, right? It was, like, so of its time. And, oh, it was so good. I want to go watch that again. Yeah. What, the Devil Wears Prada is so good. Yeah. <laughs> She's like, I'm only one stomach flew away from my goal weight. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if I'm hungry, I just eat a cube of cheese. <laughs> yeah. I love Devil one. Wears Prada. Actually, mm-hmm. funny enough, I was working at Weber when I was working uh, when I when Devil Wears Prada comes out. So when I was interning at Weber, they had something called Intern Pits. And and I was in an intern pit and I was on, I forgot what floor it was, but my intern, my particular intern pit was smaller than the other pits and it was on a different floor and the ventilation in our pit was horrible because like it would get so hot. It was winter when I did my internship, it was winter and we would be in there in full tank tops 
And like, because we were just so freaking so- hot in that room. And I remember like all of us cried at least one time during, oh, our, was- inter- <laughs> during our internship. Like it was just so... It was like a Weber internship was tough. Like, tough, even though it right? was tough, though, it it definitely prepared me because by the time I got to Helen Knowlton and the stuff that I thought was, you know, just frivolous at Weber, like when I brought it to Helen Knowlton, they were like, oh, my gosh, you know how to do this. You know how to do that. Like, wow. like you said, like, Weber, you know, how yeah. to put a, clip, a clipbook together. It's like, uh-huh. I can do a clipbook, you know, but. Yeah, yeah well, Weber is a real good education. Um, it was. Um, yeah, I felt the same way when I worked there. I think I'm a better PR practitioner having worked there. It was hard. But it was. It was good. They had this thing when I was there where um, every around December, around the holidays, they would pick three people who would get an extra vacation, a week of vacation the following year, plus a thousand dollars to fulfill their dream. But Mm -hmm. it had to be, it couldn't be PR related. You couldn't say, oh, I want to take this PRSA workshop. So I wrote that I wanted, we had just moved to Chicago and I wrote that I wanted to take classes at the second city. And I wrote a paragraph and I pitched it and they picked me. And so that, that summer, I took a week off of work and spent the mornings taking acting classes and the afternoon taking a writing class. And I had never, ever done anything like that before. And it was so cool. And I'm always so grateful for that. That is so cool. What happened to that? Like, are you still? I don't know. Oh, I don't work there anymore, but they must still no, do I'm talking about the, I'm talking about the improv classes. Oh, I did it. I did. Um, I did it for a long time. Um, I did it for like three years and then I started doing um, open mic in Chicago. Mm-hmm. A friend of mine who I met at improv, um, she was really good at it. And so I would go like twice a week, but the kind of like culinary school and um, working at a restaurant, all those open mics are at night and, mm-hmm. and on the weekends. And so I never, or, or some of them you would go, you have to go at seven, put your name down and then you wouldn't go up until 11 o'clock. Mm. And so while you're there, you'd have a couple drinks. And then it, it, by that time, you're home at like the time you get home, it would, would be like two o'clock before you were, I was in bed. And so it didn't really mesh well with a, the nine to five yeah. work schedule and a baby. And I saw so I was kind of like, oh, kinda, n- yeah, yeah, I see that. I yeah. actually just in the during the month of September, I took like an online improv intro class with Second Ooh. City. Oh, how was that? It was fun. It wasn't like as in depth as I would have liked it to be because it was just an online intro class and it was like mm-hmm. four weeks. But it was a lot of fun. Like it was just basically, you know, me and my classmates will jump online and play a bunch of improv games. Oh, I, lo- I, I really loved like those improv games. I thought they were so fun. Yeah, it's no, like would be the- it's like oh, I, I'm playing games all day, which was like right? super fun. It does make me want more, um, so I definitely think I would sign up um, for more classes, and I definitely think yeah. I would probably take a more intensive once the world opens back up again. I, it is so. I really liked it they have that whole yes and philosophy mm-hmm. where where you go and in if someone gives you you're doing a scene and someone tells you um you're a grandmother you can't say no i'm not a grandmother i'm a wolf and so mm-hmm. i think like that yes and mentality has been so helpful with work 
and with, um, you know, work, if you don't, you can plan something, but it's not going to work out. So you got to yes and it. And so if we, you know, forget like launched, so COVID happened. And so our retail sales went down. So we launched an online store. And so Mm -hmm. instead of being like, oh my gosh, what are we going to do? We kind of took the situation and, and yes, ended it. And then we Uh launched it. And my brother actually, he is, um, he's in construction, he's an engineer and he is his own um, company in Seattle. But he said that he took a business class and they had someone from improv come in and talk about yes anding. And he's like, he's like, I, I get it. He's like, I understand that and I apply it to work. Mm-hmm. So it's pretty cool. Yeah. I think, and I think that's honestly the reason why you got picked because even though like to you, it was like, Oh, this fun outlandish thing. I think they saw how you could take something like that. That's very fun and freeing and, you know, just creative, but it still applies to work. Right. Yeah. Anyway, I think it makes you like a, a, a better, a made, made me a better team member because it's always, okay, this is, you're going to, we're up against the wall and we don't know what to do. Well, let's just figure it out. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And it also helps you with public speaking. Oh, yeah. That I'm very bad at. That is not my... You just um, spent 45 minutes public speaking. I, I know, but it's just you and me in the room. <laughs> I, I did a, um, my, my friends who are realtors, I did a... Um, uh, intro to um, Instagram with them and mm-hmm. my friend she's a managing broker and she said can you please um, record it for me so we can maybe play it for other people and I recorded it and then I listened to it back I said like one million times I know I have that problem too I do right do you when I record oh. even when I record these podcasts I hate listening to myself back because I always have some sort of filler, like, like, <laughs> like, or, like um, yeah. or, you know, mm-hmm. you know, so I think we all do that, but right. you just have to keep moving forward and just Absolutely. not care and just correct yourself mm-hmm. uh, because you never know. You never know. We did a, um, and it's also funny. I can't stop looking at myself when, the, when I do, when we do Zooms. I realize that I'm, I'm not really looking at anyone else. I'm looking at how I talk. <laughs> I do that sometimes too. You do? Oh, good. Yeah. Oh, good, good. Yeah. Oh, I'm like. <laughs> but I don't think the other side notices it. I, oh, good. I, I didn't yeah. notice it. Oh, good. I'm always, yeah. <laughs> I'm looking at you sometimes and then at me. <laughs> well, that's all I have for you today. Do you have, uh, oh my how gosh. can we support you and what you're doing and what you have coming up? I th- I would say um, Atoria's Family Bakery, any influencer um, who's interested in, um, you know, getting involved. We are, we love influencers. Um, you can follow us on Instagram. I'm the one who runs the account. So I get back to people pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. So it's at Atoria's Family Bakery on Instagram. And we uh, love working with people. We love creating recipes and just finding ways to work with influencers. Cool. And I really thank you so much for this. I'm so excited that we met and that we have, I think this is the start of something great. Yeah. Yes. And it's going to be the start of you speaking more. <laughs> Yay. I would love that. It'd be fun. <laughs> Just pretend, that's all speaking engagements is are 
it's you and one other person in a room talking. And just it just so happens that sometimes a thousand <laughs> other people are watching you guys mm-hmm. have this conversation. But at the end of the day, all it really is is a conversation with you and one other person. Oh, my gosh. I, I'm going to take that. I, I learned at least three good things today on this 45-minute call. <laughs> More than that. But three takeaways. That one person and the other things. Well, what's the, what are your takeaways? What was that? The other, what if we talk about, oh, the affiliate link for sure. Mm-hmm. That's another good idea. The, when I'm talking to people, it's just, uh, you know, one-on-one, even if there's a thousand people in the room, that's another different way. I'm going to think about it from now on. And then I think the third thing, it's that it's just so crazy how um, there's so much happening with food and online and with social. And it's, it's just like, it's the, the wild West almost. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, it, 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 no one really knows what's next. And it's also cool that there's big brands with big budgets, more or less, ha- we have the same access to information as they do. Mm-hmm. So, it's, so it, it is, it's pretty cool. I think there's, I think it's, it's an exciting time to be a marketer. I agree. I agree. Real good. Yay. So it's time for us to get real creative and do some fun stuff. Absolutely. We could do it. So our project is to figure out what are some creative ways that we can leverage influencers in ways that haven't been done before. I love that. I'm going to take that. Yes. I don't know the answer to that though right now. No. We'll, we'll say find that for it. the next conversation. Yes. That would be awesome. Well, thank you so much, Beth. I hope you enjoy you. the rest of your Friday. You too, this warm day. It's a gorgeous day in Chicago on October. It's 80 degrees in October (sighs) in Chicago. Right? We are going to take it and we are going to be thankful for this when it's (laughs) not this. Um, Awesome. Well, thank you again for having me. This has been amazing. And uh, we will will talk soon. Sounds good. Thank you. (laughs) Okay, thank you. Bye. Bye. Thank you again for joining us for the Denver podcast. We look forward to having you join us again every Wednesday. Also, stay tuned for the book, Public Relations for Influencers and Content Creators by Vanessa Abron, the host of the Denver podcast. 